I'm excited to preach God's word today. God's word is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, which means that he is actually um, speaking to us. And um, his word is alive. It's, it, it pierces our heart. It transforms us. And what we, what we understand is, um, is, uh, is that it's a grace transformation. That like the verse we read this morning, Philippians 2.13, that it's God who is at work in us, working in and through us, performing this transformation in our life. And uh, God is at work in us, and he wants to pursue us. He wants us to uh, be, he wants us to want him as our portion. And, and so we're going to talk about some of those things today, but I just want to start in prayer because we need God uh, to speak to us. It's God who speaks to us through his word. And so, God, we just, just bow our heads. God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the snow. I thank you uh, for the, the clean roads, for the rain, God. Um, Lord, help me not to offend anyone for not liking too much snow. And, uh, Lord, I just pray right now that you would, uh, you would move in our midst, God, that you would move inside of us, that as I speak, Lord, that you would speak prophetically through me, that you would flow through me, and that your word would come alive, at, and seeds would be sown in our hearts, that we would learn to trust in your faithfulness, that we would learn to trust in your word, that your word is more than just words on a page. It's a person speaking to us in, in our life, in our generation. And so we just ask you, God, that you, you, the words would just come off the page, it would just come off our, our our, uh, our screens, God, that you would flow through me and that we would be open to what you have to say to us. We thank you, God, that you're alive. You're alive in us, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 So uh, today we're going to focus on God's love and how it leads us to reach out to God in prayer. And so my hope is that the word of God will encourage us to find time to pray and to respond to his faithful word. Because when we pray, what we're doing is we're responding to God's character. We're, we're responding to him in our lives. And so our prayers to God are made out of the inclusion that God Brings and he makes us a part of his family. And as, as we understand that he's, a, he's inviting us into his family, it, it causes us to know God by his character, which, would, which inspires us to pray prayers of the impossible. Prayers of the impossible. God moves mountains. God moves mountains in your life. He removes borders in your life. He can do that as we pray and as we reach out to him. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalms 142. And this is this psalm of David where he begins to pray to God in this cave, in this dark place, in this concealed place. And, and God is speaking to us about how Jesus wants 
to be in our caves, in our dark place, in the place where nobody can see us. Maybe we're driving truck, maybe we're in a mine, maybe we're driving a desk. Whatever it is, God wants to meet us in that place, that quiet place, that, that concealed place where we feel alone, and he wants to be our deliverer. God wants to be the, the one who rescues us who responds to us. And so as we look at David's story, um, David is responding to God's character, his faithfulness, and his love, his love. And so we have to just kind of unpack what is happening. This story spans over 1 Samuel chapter 22 through 28. And so this is a number of chapters where, where David is on the run because there's this person in his life who has turned on him. And so um, before he became king of Israel, he learned to pray in the midst of adversity. And so this man that was in his life was King Saul, and he was chasing David through the forests and the caves, and he was trying to kill him. And so when we read Psalms 142, this is a psalm where David prayed through anguish when he was unjustly persecuted, when he was on the run, trying to save his life, looking for someone to rescue him. And so in this psalm, we are learning God's love. We're learning that Jesus is the one who wants to meet us in our cave, in the place that nobody can see. Because one thing we can understand is that we can be surrounded by people and be all alone. But God wants us to, to meet us in our alone places. God wants to meet us in the places where we are alone when, when we put on this mask, this smile, but really inside we're hurting. We, we want to hear from God, and God is speaking to you. God will speak to you. God is moving in your midst. God is moving your mountains. Learn to hear his faithful voice. He is faithful. And so David is, is caught behind, between a, a rock and a hard place, a rock and a hard place. And I'm, I'm laughing because um, Jen was telling me that uh, if you live in Texas, uh, Austin, if, you, if you're caught in between Austin and um, Round Rock, you're, you're caught between Round Rock and a weird place. <laughs> that, that, that's their theme. They want to be weird in Austin. Uh, so God bless you, Austin. Um, but David, he's in a, between a rock and a hard place. And the rock is that this great man of God who is the spiritual leader in their country has just passed away. This was a man who anointed David as king. This is somebody who he looked up to spiritually. And he, now he's died. And he can't like go to his mentor and say, hey, I need your help. I need you to speak into my life because I, I need you. I need you to speak into my life. And, and then he's in a hard place because the family that he knew, the family that he, he grew up with in this kingdom turned on him, completely turned on him. And we know as you read these chapters that David married one of King Saul's daughters. So this was like his father-in-law. Like it would have been weird and awkward 
to, to be a part of his family because his, his whole family turned on him. And so now David is on the run. He's in between the, the caves and the forests. He's between a rock and a hard place. And so David, he knew God in the, in the fields. He knew God in, in, as a shepherd, a shepherd who, who, who guided him in the fields. But now this is something different. This is David in one place, one single place. He can't see. He's in a dark place. He doesn't have trees to look at. It's just darkness. And what David learns is he learns to be a king in this cave. He learns to pray kingly prayers. He learns to become weak so that God can be strong. He prayed because he trusted God in his weakest moment and his care for his life. So I'm just going to read a little scripture just to kind of bring us into Psalms 142, but it's for Samuel 22, verse 1. So David, he departed. He's on the run there, and he escaped to this cave of Agilom. And when his brothers and his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. So David was a part of a family, and now his original family, his, his own family, has left where they are, and they've met him in this cave. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, discontented with their life, they gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And so David's this new leader. He is understanding how to lead. And he is surrounded by all these people that he's never met before. And all he can see is darkness. And, and the thing about this place is this this cave is called Agilum, and what it means is that it's a sealed-off place. And when I was reading on this, what, what scholars think is that he wasn't just in some single cave, but he was actually in a place called Engedi, which had multiple caves. And, and that would make sense because in these chapters in, in 1 Samuel 22 through 28, Saul like, had to relieve himself. He had to go to the bathroom and he goes into this cave, and, and Israel hadn't explored the cave yet. So he wouldn't have, obviously, I think like he sent his, his men to go in there to make sure it was safe. But Saul went in there not knowing David and his army was there. And so he was, he was in a place where he couldn't see anything. And so as we read these scriptures, the first three verses are about inward focus. It's about, God, this is what's happening to me. And the next four verses are about focusing on God and, and changing our outward look to Him. 
And so David, he's surrounded by 400 men. David is out of his comfort zone. And we read this in the first couple verses. He is in distress. He doesn't know what to do. He's about to pray a prayer, not in his secret place, but he's about to pray a prayer with a whole heart, with a heart that is after God. And one, he wants to know, he wants to know who is, what is going on. And so he had to pray in the moment. Let's read in verse 1. And verse 2, I cry aloud. Oh God, I cry aloud with my voice to, to the Lord. I make supplication. I'm asking you, God, for compassion. My voice to the Lord. It says it twice to let us know that Jesus, I mean, that, that David wasn't just, he wasn't just praying in his secret place. They probably heard him in the caves. He was crying out before the Lord. He didn't know what to do. And and how do we pray? We look. This is another example of how we pray to God. We cry aloud with a whole heart. And he says in verse 2, I pour out my complaint. I pour out my complaint to God. I declare my troubles to him. Everything. So praying is crying out loud, is complaining to God and asking for mercy. Spurgeon says, we may complain to God, but not of God. What that means to me is that we can complain, we can talk about the issues. But he doesn't want us to focus on the people, he wants us to focus on him. He wants us to be open. God, this is the situation. These are the steps I see, and it's not working out. I need your help. I need your help. I need you to break through in my situation. I need your help. These things are in the way. We pour out our complaints. God wants us to confide in him. God wants us to bring every difficulty that we face. He, God wants us to unzip it. Unzip it and pour it out. He wants us to let it all out to him. And so we ask with a voice for compassion. We ask God, God, I know you see everything, but please have mercy on me. Help me. Help me, God. David is looking for God to meet him in the cave where it's sealed off. Even though there's people around him, in the darkness, the voices in your mind come alive. And God meets you in that place. He meets you in your mind. Our caves narrow our options. We all have different caves, and they narrow our options. Because God's path is the only way out. So David is in this cave, and God is putting him in this situation where he's bringing him to his weakness so that God could be his strength, 
so that God can be the only way out. God wants to be your only way out. That's how the mountains are moved. The only way out. The only way. When my spirit was overwhelmed, verse 3, within me, I knew my path. I chose to walk in your way, God. You called me as king, I'm going to walk. I knew my path. I knew it might end my life. In the, where, in the way and where I walk, they have hidden a trap. God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. It talks about how God blesses the poor in spirit. For, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. God will give it to them. And so in, in these words, what it's describing is that God responds to a humble heart. He gives grace to the humble heart. If we're wrapped up in our own self-righteousness, we're going to miss the thing that God wants to give us, his grace to walk in and through his power. He wants you to come as you are, but he wants you to respond to his grace. He's going to bring you to a cave. He's going to bring you to a place. Maybe it's going to, you're going to, it's going to cause you to suffer, but it's going to be for his glory. It's going to be the way that you learn that he is faithful even in the caves. Not just in the fields, not when you can see the mountains, but in the dark places, in the places that nobody knows but you. Jesus had to go through those places too. Verse 4, look to the right. It's like, God, look to the left. Look to the right. They're all around me. For there's no one who regards me. Nobody's looking after me. Samuel's gone. He was my spiritual mentor. He was the one I looked up to. Now he's gone. There's no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. Jonathan was, was Saul's son. And he was David's like right-hand best friend, created a covenant, a lifelong bond, more than just a contract, more than just a promise. He promised him the kingdom. Jonathan was the rightful king, but he recognized God's anointing on David. And he said, David, you're the next king. I want to be your friend. It was rightfully his, but he said, no, this is God. God is working through David. I surrender. You, it's, it's all you, God. I choose this new person. And so David, what he's saying is, in, in um, I think it's chapter 24, Jonathan, verses 9 and 10, uh, Jonathan goes to David when David's on the run, and Jonathan was always an encouragement to him. He was somebody who always was in David's corner, was always there to support him, always ready to, to remind him who, who called him. It wasn't man. Man didn't call him, but God called him. God is raising up Jonathans. He's calling us to be Jonathans, but, but David doesn't have Jonathan. He's in this cave. 
He's in this place where he's all alone. He's all alone. And so David is saying, no one cares for my soul. Another thing, I told you that I'm not the hunter of the family. Jennifer is. She, she, she knows how to hunt. And uh, I need to learn those precious skills. And uh, I always wanted to. We just never, and we just never worked out for our family. Um, and uh, my poor dad, he loves animals. And uh, uh, he, sh- sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to embarrass my dad. Um, but uh, he, uh, he said, there's no escape for me. And so what he's saying is, as he talks about this in Psalms 140, verse 5, he talks about how, how um, David feels like this animal where he's surrounded and he's trapped and he's got nowhere to go. And, and hunters will, will find the, the, the usual path of these animals and, and lay traps and, and snare them. And that's how he feels. He feels like they already know his next move. They know where he's going, and they've laid a trap. And he feels like there's no escape. And the truth is, is I believe that Satan is a spirit. He, he comes in different forms, the devil, and he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy your family. He wants, he wants to laugh at you when he destroys you. He is evil. He is a liar. He is not someone we want to just think lightly because we, we need a savior. We need somebody to protect us, somebody to stand in that path against the enemy. And so David is in this cave. He's all alone. He's in his mind. The voices are echoing through his mind, through the caves. And he feels alone even though there's people all around him. And what Satan does is he creates everyday events and relationships that bait us, that entrap us in sin, in bitterness, in wrong attitudes and unbelief. That's, those are the snares of the enemy. He doesn't want you talking with other people. He doesn't want you uh, coming together and talking about Jesus and how Jesus has been faithful in, in your life so it doesn't encourage you. But that's why we have church. That's why we have one body. That's why we, this is like one chapel. Because, because we come together and we talk about God's faithfulness. Not talking about God's faithfulness. How is God meeting you in the word? Because somebody needs it. Somebody needs it. You're a Jonathan. You encourage. This is the good news. This is the good news. The good news. Not the condemning news. You are preachers of hope. You're preachers of hope. That's who you are. Find a solution. Seek the king. Seek the king. Verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. 
This is where it starts. He's not even at his lowest point, but it's his second to last low. And he's saying, I cry out to you, Lord. I said, you are my refuge. And, and here it is, my portion in the land of the living. My portion. I just, I learned it this, this Saturday. I was staying up really late and, and God just showed this to me. Every tribe in Israel had a portion in the land except for priests. And they didn't receive land. But what they received was a special portion. And their portion was a relationship with God. And what Jesus does when he creates this relationship, he gives you a special portion a special relationship to respond to him, to respond to the king. He is speaking to us. It talks about this in Numbers because God had a certain way in which he wanted to lead God's people. He said, and the Lord said to Aaron, this high priest, you priests will receive no allotment of land or share in the property. You're not going to live on this earth, but I'm going to give you a special portion. Among the people of Israel, I am your share. I am your allotment. What he's teaching us is not to get stuck in this land, but he wants us to leave inheritances of faith, deposits of faith for our next generation, that God is a refuge to all generations. That he is a hope to look at. That he is a city in the darkness. A light in the darkness. And so what David is doing is he's saying, I know my tribe is Judah, but you're my portion. I know this belongs to me, but you are what belongs to me. You're my everything. You are what I hunger for. You're everything I want. Verse 6, I give heed to my cry, God, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Finally, David is given up on his own strength. He's saying, okay, I quit. God's like, thank you. Now I can deliver you. Now I can deliver you. Thank you for letting go. Thank you for letting go. Now I can take it. And he says in verse 7, bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. I read that again. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. David is praying prophetically. He's saying, he's saying, what you promised to me will come to me. This is who you said I am. I'm going to trust in you and your word. And that's what happened. In a series of events, the people chose him as the king. God which God already called. God chose his 
man of God. What stops us from praying? Fear stops us from praying. Fear stops us from trusting that God gave us his spirit and adopted us as his children. He says in Romans 8.15, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Jesus wanted to let us in on how the Father thought. He wanted us to know if we're new and we're coming back, or we're coming back as a prodigal son, or he wanted us to know as an older son. Or, and, and, um, and, and so he wanted us to know what a father is like. And for some of us, it's hard to understand what a father is like. When we think of father, we think of somebody who's inconsistent. We think of somebody who said one thing and then did another. We think of somebody who controlled us, who manipulated us. We think of somebody who, uh, who lied to us, who made fun of us. And so we have this idea of what Father is on earth. And when, when Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven, what he was saying when he was teaching us how to pray, what he was saying was, our Father is in heaven. He's not like other fathers. In heaven, there is no sickness. There is no sin. There is no temptation. There is no, he's not constrained to time. And so when, when it says in Romans that he came while we were yet sinning, his love for us isn't conditional on what we do for him. And that is the heart of the prodigal son and the older brother, which is, which is what we're going to look at. God wants us to know who he is as a father. And so if you want to read the story, it's Luke 15, 11 through 32, but it's basically the son who, who wants to take his father's inheritance and um, the way it worked in their families, um, because this, this may be a new story to somebody, but um, the older son had got a double portion. He was supposed to take care of the, um, the business but the younger son got a third, and so he was supposed to take that money and, and take care of the father. And so this son takes all this inheritance, and he goes and he spends this money on, on wasteful living and, and just living for himself and trying to build up his self-esteem and, and trying to find identity and in, in, in being powerful and, and, and being a voice among different people. And, and what he finds is when he loses it all, nobody cares about him. Nobody cares about him. And so then this recession hits, 
And he has no money. He has to take the worst job possible. He, doesn't even, he can't even eat the food that he's trying to uh, feed the pigs with. And then it comes into his mind that, oh, it's way better in my dad's house. It's way better. Now, the only way for him to realize that is because this father created a culture where he created forgiveness, where he created justice, where he created truth and peace. He created this environment. That's why he knew he could come back home. He thought he was dead. The law said he he was as good as dead. But he was hoping in the impossible. And so when he came home, he's walking home, and he's coming up with a speech that that he's going to talk to his dad and just tell him every right word because his dad is a successful business person and, and he, he's like, he just knows what to do. He is successful in the community. He's well known. And so he's, he's got he's to get this all right. The act of repentance is not just living in our sins and changing our mind, but it's deciding, I'm going back to our father. I'm going to the top. I'm going to our Father in heaven, and and I'm going to follow his way. And so he's thinking in his mind that he is going to um, be just a, a hired hand. And what that means is that this hired hand could just be fired in one day. But he was thinking that's better than where he was. So he's on the road, and afar off, his father sees him. And this father picks up his robe and he runs to this son. And he says, his son says, I, I've sinned. I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and earth. And, and this father interrupts him and just hugs him and kisses him and receives him and is compassionate. David was praying in the, in the cave God, have mercy on me. Be compassionate. You know my life is just a breath of air. Be merciful to me. David knew who he was in God. He knew that God had called him, that he belonged to God, and that his portion was God. And so this prodigal son knew it was better in the father's hand. Then in um, verse 27, actually verse 25, Jesus speaks of this older brother. And we're just going to read that. Now that his older brother was in the field, and when he, had, he came and approached the house and heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began, to, in, began inquiring of what these things could be, he said to him, your brother has come. The servant is talking to the older brother. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But this brother was angry. He was angry because when the 
younger brother was living it up in the city, people would gossip about his family. And this younger son would, is, is, is squandering the family name, squandering the, the family business. So he's got pent-up bitterness. He's got entrapments, things that he's been trapped by in bitterness. And so, so he becomes angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading. I'm almost done with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And I I can identify with this because... I'm, I'm administrative. I like, I like rules. I like to like get things in order. I, I want that. Um, but what the Father is teaching us is God loves the people, not the rules. And, and so he's speaking to us who, who have that gift of administration that we can be set free. We can think beyond ourselves. We can trust in his way of thinking. Verse 30, but when the son of yours came, he's saying, this is your son, not my brother, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. He's, now he's putting up walls between him and his brother. He's putting up this sealed cave And you've killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, which it's not even the word son, it's the, actually the word is child. So he's speaking to him in the most tender voice. He, he's saying, child, I love you. He's saying, I love you by saying, child. Child, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice for his, this brother of yours was dead and now has begun to live and was lost and has been found. God goes after the one. God goes after the one. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one because he loves people. He came for the world with his best, and he gave the best so that we could find inheritance through his son, Jesus, so that we could find hope. And in this case, when we pray, when we are in this cave, this spiritual cave, this cave in our minds, God is saying, I'm here for you. Respond to me. I want to be your portion. And so when we pray, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wants us to think of God as a Father who never changes. He is a father who stays the same. 
It says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. God doesn't throw uh, temper tantrums. He looks at the promise that he made through his son Jesus and he says, I'm with you to the end. I authored your faith. I'm going to finish your faith. I am going to be the one who makes a way where there is no way. When, when there's fire all around you, all ready to just consume you and ensnare you and trap you up with bitterness, no, I'm going to give you a way out. And it's through my son, Jesus. It's at that moment that we have to surrender. We have to say, no more, God, I can't do it. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can rely on your strength where I am weak. And we do that by trusting in the Spirit. We, we do that by trusting that He gave us His Spirit and we are His children. And that's where it all begins. But I, I, I believe that there's some of us who have been battling with these secret places in our minds. And God wants to set you free of bitterness, unforgiveness, fear, hopelessness. That you were thinking, I've been, you've been playing the tally game with God, like, oh, I, I did all this, and now I didn't do this. I missed a few days, and, and so that must mean that God's mad at me. And... And that's not how God's love works. And if we will say, God, I surrender, he will deliver you. He will come into your cave, your mind, and set you free. We are oppressed, and he sets the captives free. David was in this prison. Jesus rescues us in our prisons, in our minds, and in the physical and in our mental and in the spiritual. He is our way of escape. And it's ours if we choose it. We have to choose it. We have to decide. We're going to deny ourselves, and we're going to pick up the cross and follow him. It's our choice. He's giving us a choice. But it's his way. No other way. It's his way of worship, not our way of worship. It's setting our life, it's us choosing to seek first the kingdom and everything else and his righteousness and everything else will be added. It's setting things in order in our life. And, and, and God responds to a, a humble, contrite, he gives grace to the humble. That's how he wants us to respond. So if I could have the worship team come up. And if we can all just stand. And we're just going to pray. And if this was speaking to you and you want healing today, God will heal you. He will speak to you.